people. <laughs> Hello, people. This is, uh, this is something I, I just never want to get used to, uh, get, you know, take for granted. It's wonderful to see you all here and in person in the building. I want to bless you. Uh, it's very powerful to bless people and to activate God's intervention in their life. And so I want to bless you here, or if you're watching online, I, I want to bless you all. So I bless you now in the name of Jesus that you would know Jesus more wonderfully during this time. I bless you that you would be healed in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to know the guidance and help of God, that God would guide you even whilst we're talking and worshiping during this time. I bless you to flourish and prevail, whatever your challenges, whatever your, whatever your situations. And I bless you to, to feel hope, to feel peace, to feel love, to feel joy, whatever your circumstances because God is real, and He is here, and He is with you. May that be. In Jesus' name, I bless you. All right. <clears throat> Welcome back to our series entitled The Bible Land and Biblical Faith. Today, we are moving north. We're moving north, and we're going to be talking about the area and the city, both called Samaria. So, maps time. Woo. Uh, <clears throat> so, we got maps here. We, we have the the, uh, we've left the southern area, the land of Judah, the land of David, and we're kind of back to where we first started our study. Remember, one of our first messages was an area called Shechem, and that's the blue dot here on this map. Shechem is where Abraham first comes into the land and where he first meets God whilst in the land, and God says, this is going to be the land. And it's also the place where Moses sent Joshua and the people to come first for worshiping God. It's also the place where the first king, when the kingdom was divided after David and Solomon, where the first king set up the capital at the spiritual heart and center of, of the nation here at this, in the area of Samaria, which is the red circle, the area of Samaria. Shechem's right in the middle of that. The purple dot is also important. That is Shiloh, also in this area of Samaria. Shiloh was, is like the, the Jerusalem before there was a Jerusalem that was a big deal. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was where the Tabernacle of God was. And for 369 years from the days of Joshua, it was the worship center for the entire nation. They would gather for all their feasts and festivals three times a year, one time a year, depending on the era. And they would celebrate and worship before God at Shiloh. So <clears throat> you can see in the area of Samaria, this, there's a, a deep, rich spiritual heritage. Also, the area is just better. It's just better than what we've looked at. The further you go north, the, the better uh, the water and the rain. Here's some pictures of the areas. <clears throat> more rain, more green, more food, <clears throat> better farming land, still decently safe. Just a better land. You, <clears throat> you can see the shepherds here, right? Uh, remember what the shepherds were like down in Judah? They're out in the wilderness, in the desert, you know, scraping through different, different uh, like, the tufts of, of something to eat. I mean, here it's green. It's like if you're going to be a sheep, why not in the north, right? This is just fantastic land, just, just better, just better in, in so many ways. <clears throat> so uh, back to the map real quickly. So the red area, the circled area is the area of Samaria. In the New Testament, that's where the Samaritans lived in Jesus' day. But then there's also a city. 
And that's the red dot there. There's a city called Samaria, and that was built 50 years after Solomon. So you got David and Solomon. 50 years after that, um, it, it, was, it was built, and it becomes at that moment the most important of all the northern cities from then till the end of the Old Testament and beyond. It becomes the most important of the city. So the Old, the Old Testament city of Samaria, it's so strategically important and so intrinsically mighty that all the other empire nations who eventually take over this area, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, they make Samaria, the city, their regional capital for everything this side of the Euphrates River. It's just, it's, it's so intrinsically um, significant of a city. And it stays that way until 331 BC when Alexander the Great comes in and, and wipes it out, destroys it. It gets rebuilt several times, but, but from then on it's no longer a, a regional capital. But still, Samaria is incredibly mighty. It's a perfectly placed capital city. Remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about Jerusalem, right? And I was saying how basically nothing strategically good uh, is connected to, to Jerusalem. There's nothing very amazing about it. All that it had going for itself is that it was available. Basically, the city of Samaria is the exact opposite. In every way, actually. In every way, it's the exact opposite of Jerusalem. And so today what I want to talk about is why... Why King Omri, who is the one who, who built this city, uh, why King Omri bought this hill and made it his capital city? And I guess the basic answer is it's the perfect location for a phenomenally successful city and kingdom, basically. First Kings chapter 16. King Omri bought uh, this hill belonging to Shemer for two talents of silver and made it his capital. Here's the, here's the hill that he bought. That hill, that hill kind of, not the hill in the foreground, the hill in the background. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's so much better than, than Jerusalem. The, the hill sits 300 feet above the valley, the valley floor. Uh, it's huge. It was able to be, uh, maintain a city five times larger than Solomon's Jerusalem. Just so much bigger. Great farming, lots of olive trees, and unlike Jerusalem, amazing views of, of the whole landscape, especially to the west, but every direction, uh, amazing views. It had these strong ancient walls. It was a very mighty city. Um, it, the, the city withstood many sieges. Uh, it, was just, it was just difficult to capture because of its, its uh, position. It took three years for the mighty Assyrian army. If you look in history, if you look at the British Museum, the Assyrians are fierce Fierce, fierce. It took three years for them to actually capture the city of, of Samaria. It, it's, a, it's a big deal. Some of the main stories that take place connected to Samaria. Oh, I don't know. How about um, King Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah? That, all that stuff is connected to this area. Elisha, the prophet, I don't know how other people pronounce his name, but, but Elisha, the prophet, and his interaction with the kings in his day. Basically, almost every battle and siege for the rest of the Bible from the time it's built in the northern kingdom takes place here. Um, even 400 years later, you've got Nehemiah. 400 years later, Nehemiah comes along, and he goes to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem. Well, he's got these pesty enemies who keep, like, harassing and, and, and pressuring them, they're connected to Samaria. 
they're connected to this, this regional capital in his days. Samaria is just a big deal. Uh, another picture here. So <clears throat> we, this is taken from Samaria, the hill of Samaria, looking east. And you can see in the background there's Mount Ebal. Uh, Mount Ebal is where Shechem was, right? That was the spiritual uh, capital area of, of the nation. What I want you to see in this picture is that what, by moving here, we have moved out of the, the hill country and into the northern Shephila. Remember the Shephila, the, the, the foothills, the, the, the area nearer the coast? And when, when, he, when King Omri does this, he moves away from the spiritual center of the land to, in order to become the most rich, powerful, influential king uh, that the northern kingdom has ever had, and it works, and it works. Uh, before I move on, look at all the little olive trees there. That's uh, wonderful for, um, for, for all kinds of snacky snacks. Anyways, so move, let's go back to the map because I want to explain why it's so significant now that you've seen the foothills. So King Omri made a very strategic choice. He picked Samaria because it was the place where he could become hugely successful, hugely rich, hugely uh, influential. And, and, and he decided that that was going to be more important to him than their spiritual heritage, than the, than the spiritual heritage of the nation. Success, money, power, influence, more important than, than the God of the Bible. And that's kind of the story of Samaria from here on out, rejecting their spiritual heritage, rejecting the God of the Bible for the pursuit of power and, and influence. So on the map here, I've tried to draw the, the impact of Samaria by moving the capital just into the Shephila. And what, what it does is it, it's, it keeps the government right on the yellow road. We know the yellow road, right? We got it. That's the main, the only north-south road, uh, the most important road in the, in the nation. You know, follow the yellow brick road. That's where you want to be uh, when you're in the middle of the nation. But also by moving it to Samaria, he gained uncontested influence and control over a massive part of the green road. The green road, the money road. The, the Empire Road, the most important road of the ancient Near East, where the riches of Egypt go through to Babylon, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and beyond. Like, like that, he gains uncontested control and all the taxes and all the money from that. Not only that, as you can see, he gains uncontested control of the Blue Road, the most important Blue Road, which takes all the riches of Arabia and it, takes, and it brings them to Tyre, and Sidon, those port cities where the riches of Arabia go into the Mediterranean world and where the riches of the Mediterranean world go back down into Arabia. He gets all the roads, the money roads, the, the, the power roads. This is a massive, massive, uh, significant move. And, and, it, and it works. It works, right? The northern kingdom, ruled by Samaria now, is vastly bigger, stronger, uh, richer, more wildly successful than that southern kingdom of Judah led by Jerusalem. Wildly more successful for a time. For a time. For, for, for a season. A, a long time, but importantly, a limited, a limited time. 
When it comes to the spiritual lessons uh, from Samaria, I think the proverb written by King Solomon captures it pretty well. King Solomon writes this proverb about 60 years before Samaria is built. It's, it seems to be either so important or so forgetful it's recorded twice. I'm not sure which one uh, it, it is. It, it was recorded in chapter 14 of Proverbs 12, uh, 14, 12 and chapter 16, verse 25. And the proverb says this. It says, there is a way that seems right to a person. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. It says it twice. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. Now, naturally speaking, Samaria seems so right. So, right, and, and then you, you ask yourself, is it really that big of a deal to move away from your spiritual heritage when there's so much to gain? That's the question of the ages. Is it really that big of a deal to take some steps away from Jesus, away from God? We're not, we're not running out of, out of uh, as far as is possible to go, but is it, is it really that big of a deal to move away, even a step or two, from, from our spiritual heritage... For the, for the extra influence, for the extra reward. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. One of the great temptations in every single generation in the history of humanity is this temptation to reject God, to reject God and maybe your spiritual heritage for the allure, for the allure of success, money, power, influence, it's so tempting. It's so tempting. And it's not nothing. If you make success your aim, if you make money and influence your aim, at, as re, and rejecting God in order to do that, key thing, and rejecting God in order to do that, you might very well be very successful. And, and have a life of ease and all that kind of stuff. You, you might actually attain that in your rejection of God. But that rejection of God for those pursuits is a trap. It's a, it's a trap. And Jesus says it so brilliantly. Jesus says in Matthew 16, he says, For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life, or forfeits his soul, says some places. What will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels. The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will reward each according to what he has done. This is part of the warning of the story of Samaria. It seems so right. And, and the desire for success and sex and success and, well, it also Baal worship, Jezebel. Like all of those sto stories are right there at Samaria. You think I'm joking. Jesus just wanted me to say it out loud and I wasn't going to. Sex, I said it. Okay. Uh, money, influence, power. So, such a strong allure. But family, God is real. God is real and, and Jesus 
is going to come back. And, and, and he is going to have us give an account for our motives, for what we spent our heart and our life pursuing, our choices and our priority. What are you going to do on that day if, if you have rejected the way of Jesus in order to pursue the way of success like King Omri did? Now, now don't be crass about this. Your soul is real. Your soul is real and your only hope is Jesus. In fact, we're going to truth type and truth talk. Wait, do we still do that? No, I totally forgot to do this for like the last six or eight months. Online, I want you to type, my soul is real and my only hope is Jesus. And here in the room, we're just going to say it. We're going to drive this home because this is the, we're going to say my hope is, my, my, my soul is real and my only hope is Jesus. Okay, ready to preach this to, to one another and to yourself? Okay, here we go. Three, two, one, here we go. My soul is real and my only hope is Jesus. Because Jerusalem has a forever future according to the Bible in Revelation 21. Today, Samaria is a ruin. Here's some pictures. Today, aerial view, you, you've got the, you, you have these pictures here looking down. Uh, it's a ruin. It, it's a, still a beautiful hill, but it's just, it's not a, it's not a city anymore. It's a, it's a ruin. It had its moment. And yes, the success and might of Samaria lasted for generations, and it can be so easy to envy those who reject God, especially when it actually does go very well for them. Uh, but the question is, what is the end? What is their end? What will they do when they stand before the very real Jesus? They will be Samaritized. <laughs> Ruined. Ruined. Psalm 73 lays out the temptation of Samaria perfectly. The whole thing. The, Psalm 73 captures the lesson of Samaria. The, the guy Asaph, who's David's friend, he writes about the very real allure that King Omri pursued and Ahab after him and, and all the kings after them. And, and he, he talks about this allure in Psalm 73 verse 2. He says, but as for me, my feet almost slipped, my steps nearly went astray, severely tempted, drawn this direction. For I envied the arrogant, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die. It's, he's not, the Bible's not saying it's, it's, it's not going to be the way. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. It, it, this allure and this temptation, you know, Asaph is being honest. This is what I'm seeing. It goes on this way down to verse 12. Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. There is that allure. Who among us does not feel that allure, that pull at, at some time or another? And, and you, you've, got this, you've got this draw and this enticement, and, and Asaph is just so honest about that. I almost slipped in this. This almost tripped me up. I, I almost went the wrong direction here. And then he goes on, and he, he questions in this psalm, was it really worth following the way of God? And he, he doubts. He's like, did I, verse 13, did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? I mean, look at my life compared to theirs. For I'm afflicted 
all day long and punished every morning. They have it easy. They have it successful. They have it easy. I don't know if you ever feel that way where you're like, really? Is following Jesus and, and his holy way, his pure way, his good way, is it really worth it when I look at these other people and, and how they are able to live? Asaph, though, he, he, his perspective starts to become clear in verse uh, 16. And he, and he says, when I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until, until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. That was the turning moment for him. It, it, it just seemed all right. Their way was the best way until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood. That's exactly what Jesus was saying, right? That's what Jesus was saying. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their life or forfeit their soul or lose their life? That's exactly what Jesus was saying. And Asaph ultimately concludes, not only is there benefit for somebody's eternal destiny, but also there is such benefit in following God in this life. And actually it's worth following God even in this life. He talks about in verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. If that is the only perk of God in this life, I, I say sign me up. That's a good one. And afterward, you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Family, we are standing at the threshold of a new beginning. I keep saying this week after week. It's a very significant moment in your life and in the world. It is a new beginning moment. This era has been a divine wake-up call for anyone who will hear it. A divine wake-up call that anything can change in a moment, that life is fickle, uh, our, we can't take our health or our lifespans for granted, we can't take our jobs and our employment or our businesses for granted. Like this is a time where so many things have fallen apart. It's been a divine wake-up for everyone in the world. And I plead with you, Get this moment right with Jesus. Get this moment right between you and God. Get this moment right. This is a moment of grace. This is a moment of insight. This is a moment of perspective. This is a moment of new beginning. And this is a time where you get to choose your path now from here after this wake-up moment. And where you're going to be going and how you're going to live and what are you going to choose. And I say choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. Choose the way of Jesus as your primary pursuit or other than these others. The way of wealth, the way of anything. Maybe Jesus will bring you success. He does do that. Maybe he will bring you wealth. He does do that. Maybe he will bring you blessings and favor in your life. He definitely does that all through the Bible and all through the generations. He definitely does do that. But that's not to be our primary pursuit. Our primary pursuit is Jesus. We're not going to move away from Jesus like King Omri did. Move away from God. Move away from the spiritual things in order to pursue pursue it. We're going to pursue Jesus and see what happens and see what, what comes our way. I encourage you to, to, to dedicate your life to not envy those who are prospering away from God. Those who are, who are, who are receiving things that you would, you would want, but in rebellion to God. Instead, cherish the goodness 
of following Jesus and his way. It will serve you surprisingly well. It will guard your heart and your mind. And, and, and on that future day, when you stand before God, you, you get to hear that, oh, well done. Well done. I'm so glad your, your foot did not slip in those days of, of temptation. The challenge for us this week is, I want you to read all of Psalm 73. It's not that big. Um, and, choose, and, and with that sense, of, choose your path from here. Remember the story of Asaph. Remember the, the conclusions that he makes. And choose your path from here. Um, and as your favorite West End hairless pastor, uh, i got to put on lots of caveats because I don't know. Uh, we all like Laura better, I'm sure. But like Psalm, like choose Jesus is, is my encouragement for us all. Choose the way of Jesus I know firsthand how easy it is to want to walk away from Jesus and Jesus' way for these other things. I have felt that many times in my life, and I think all of you have as well. Maybe sometimes we've navigated it well, maybe sometimes we haven't. But at this new beginning moment, let's recommit. It's, we're going to choose Jesus. We're going to choose Jesus. I'm going I'm to pray for us. In fact, here in this moment, I'll just give you that moment where you can just have that time before God and you can just reflect for a moment, how? You know, how am I doing? Or what are the allures there? There's nothing wrong with having the allures there. Temptation is not a sin. It's how we respond to it. Like, okay, is this allure pulling on you now? Could you think of times in your past where, when it has? And I encourage you to rededicate yourself. Jesus, okay, this is a hard one. The allure is strong, but I choose to run after you no matter what, to choose you first. Even if it means laying down some success or influence or whatever, I'm going to choose you first. If you've never dedicated your life to following Jesus, to actually following Jesus with your life, I encourage you to pray something like this. God, here I am. Forgive me. I now dedicate the entirety of my life to following you and your way, Jesus. Jesus, you will be my king, and I will not walk away from you for other things. You will be my king. Holy Spirit, now fill me, heal me, help me, guide me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.